Hello and welcome to National League Town, Mets fandom, Mets history, Mets life, with Long Island's own Greg Prince and Jeff Heisen. Hey, Greg. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whenever it is. Uh, This is National League Town, a conversation between two Mets fans today. I'm one of them, Greg Prince. The other, my good friend, Jeff Heisen. Jeff, what's up? Let me tell you what happened at Breakfast. That's, of course, Monday night. A guy I hadn't seen for over a year, Richard, comes over to me and says, Hi, Jeff. How are the Mets doing? And he smiles. And I said, Happy New Year, Richard. F you. And I didn't say F. And I smiled. He smiled. And that was the end of it. But that's how it's gone this season. I'm getting razzed by a Nationals fan, a pathetic, sad team. When 57-84, you start to think, is that our record? 57-84? and No, not quite (laughs) that bad. Mets need to do a little atoning for uh, how they've played. It's a little late for that in the course of the 2023 or 57-83 season, ending in 57-84. Good yontif, everybody. The Mets do seem to bring out the worst in other teams' fans. When we're doing well, they resent us. When we're doing badly, they revel in it. I Maybe that happens for all teams. I don't know. Uh, it, it feels like when I saw, I think it was Fox Sports MLB account on Twitter, showed that the Mets had been eliminated and a picture of Mr. Met looking sad or alarmed or whatever the feedback to that was not good luck fellas next year it was like haha uh nelson Muntz style so be it i suppose so be it if your friend the nationals fan from fifth place has something to say to you about being in fourth place at the end of the day i guess it's up to us to see the best in metsdom and none of us is in the mood to see the best in Metzdom as this season winds down. Let me try to get inside your head. Let me at, at with days to go in the season. And this is where I am. And you know that phrase, two things can be true at the same time. Yes. Yes. So uh, I'm happy that the 2023 Mets will be no more as of Sunday night. I think we were all tired of the season. Mentally, we knew that the Mets were done in June. Management told us that they were done in August. Some some fans checked out and didn't watch after that. Of course, you and I still have and our listeners still have. But this season is unprecedented in its level of suckiness. And there'll be books written about it. There'll be postmortems. We already saw a good one in the, in the athletic. And we'll have our own coming up in a few weeks. So the level of suckiness is unprecedented for the 23 season and farewell to that. But on Monday night at 7:10, there won't be Mets baseball in our lives. I will miss Mets baseball. Well, it's fall and that always happens. I don't know that the level of suckiness is totally unprecedented. We've lived through some sucky seasons, but there there is a strain of suckiness. I don't know what the, the chemical compound would be uh, that does feel like we've never quite had this, or at least not in a while. We've had lousy seasons. I think somewhere in the middle of the season, we were talking about how 
oh, it's the worst ever. And I was probably saying, well, you know, there are 48 other seasons that were pretty bad or however many. But there, there was something about this one. There was a, a lethargy to this team that just never felt like it, it got going. And I think that contributed to why we wind up in September, not only out of the race, but with very little to recommend watching this team unless you are committed. And uh, if you want to say, oh, yeah, ought to be committed for watching this team, uh, go ahead. I wrote something the other day when they were eliminated uh, mathematically, remembering what it was like to be at Chase Stadium the night they were eliminated mathematically in 1989, a year when they were much better, but it wasn't really good enough to get them anywhere. And I remember in the paper the next day, uh, the attendance was described as 18,000 entertainment-deprived souls or something like that. But I remember the, the phrase entertainment-deprived. We live in a universe where there's all the entertainment is available at your fingertips. We do not have to rely on the Mets at 7, 10 p.m. to get us through. But, you know, th this is who we are. This is what we, we like to be entertained by and immersed in. And yet, not only will I not miss it for a while, eventually I will. I mean, the postseason will come along and, you know, that that's always a mixed bag because it's still baseball and it decides a championship. But when the Mets aren't in it, and especially if you're watching at least a couple of teams that you consider your rivals, it kind of sucks. But I mean, this I'll tell you the unprecedented part of this season to me. And that is more than ever, maybe the first time in at all where there'd be a rain out, there'd be an off day, whatever. And the Mets weren't playing. And usually, even in lousy seasons, like, oh, the Mets aren't playing. I wasn't sorry. I was I was relieved. I was relieved to have a four-day all-star break and relieved when one of those Mondays or Thursdays rolled around and they said we're, we're not playing. Or when we were rained out, I think, uh, you know, consecutive days against Atlanta early in the season. Uh, when we had a rain out again, we were playing well against Cleveland. When I guess it was, there was no rain out in Washington. You would know better than I, but they had that weird suspension. Uh, anything that kept me from watching the Mets, I was not mad about. I mean, yeah, I would still be back at 7.10 the next night or whatever time it was, but I just wanted to get away from this team within the season. Now that's different from being told, no, no more Mets baseball that counts for about six months and no Mets baseball of, of any kind until the middle of February, which is what, four and a half months from when the season ends. This team did that. This team earned it. Uh, this team, and not, not maybe not our enmity. I can never pronounce that correctly. En enmity or enmity. Anyway, uh, we don't hate them. We're just fed <laughs> up with them. And, uh, you know, you don't want to hang out with with those with whom you are fed up thanks for trying in your way guys and uh see some of you next year is kind of where my head is when did that start you know i, I mentioned the rain out against the braves which was the end of april the beginning of may and you know, it already was setting in i think what what's made this season different from so many disappointing seasons and mind you to have a disappointing season you have to feel like something good is going to happen. So there you go. There have been lots of years. We talked about it in the uh, the 2013 episode, If It Happens in Threes, when, when we were in the doldrums of, of that era, 
I had fewer expectations, so I wasn't necessarily let down. I mean, you always find a way to be let down as a fan when your team doesn't do well. This year, we, we know what we came in thinking was going to happen, but they never really presented a team that even for more for more than a few days and very isolated incidents, the, that five-game period when they were exciting against Cleveland and Tampa Bay, and that six-game winning streak uh, when they went to Arizona especially and swept, and that was like a long time ago now. They never really established for me any sense that they were going to do anything this year, except for the fact that they were good last year and they were supposed to be good this year. And they had all these players who were who had a track record and all of that. I mean, they peaked at 14 and 7, which is a long time ago. To get to 14 and 7, as I recall, they kind of had to like get on something of a hot streak because they kind of stumbled out of the gate a little bit. Remember, they uh, were swept by Milwaukee in the first full week of the season <laughs> and that was sort of a signal and then you know they have the, the sloppy series but i think is a sloppy or, or not robust series that they had in oakland and they went to la and max scherzer who used to be on the mets uh, had the whole thing with his uh, his rosin and <laughs> his sweat and his being suspended and this is when they were doing well but it didn't feel like oh boy here we go it was more like okay now you guys were supposed to be good are getting it together. And then that just stopped. So there, there wasn't even that moment of, all right, here's some momentum. You know, they were never, uh, once the season had any kind of critical mass to it, in a, in a, if the season ended today, they would be in the playoffs. I mean, maybe in April. But that, that fell away so quickly that you, except for, the again, the Tampa Bay-Cleveland run, which was exciting for five days and just ended, they just went back to losing to lousy teams or what we thought were lousy teams. Some of those teams contended and are perhaps going to the playoffs. So I never had a good feeling about this team, which makes it a long season. You know, you want to look back in the course of a season and say, oh, where did it all go, man? It was just so you look forward to baseball and suddenly it's half over, it's three quarters over or whatever. And it's like, oh my God, is this still going on? Is this still that season? You know, I think you're going to see some highlights somewhere along the way from early in the year. And you'll see players you've completely forgotten about <laughs> who were here or they've just gone on the, the injured list or they were traded. And it's like, oh yeah, that, that was this season. What a long season it's been. I, I think I, I tried to think that maybe – and it wasn't just me, but, you know, you try to think maybe it's me. Maybe I'm wrong not to put my faith in in this crew. They, but they did nothing to really engender any faith among any of us. So I never just never really had a, had a feeling that this team was going anywhere. No, I think that I agree with you. I think that started in spring training because the main guys, the guys, the name guys, weren't there for so long. So we watched spring training games and we saw the B team. And then the season started and there were the new rules and the players who were at the World Baseball Classic were still getting used to it. And it just never felt settled to me. And by May, by that Detroit series, I felt like they were done and my wife, in fact, at one point in April, looked at me and said, you waited all this time for it. How come you're on your computer Watch it while the game's on? I said, eh, I'm not, not as into it, I guess. I'll 
I'll get in. I'll be there in the sixth, seventh inning, but I have some work to do. And so I was multitasking and I usually never do that. So I feel the same way about this team. And I wonder if the players had that mindset, like the season started and they was like, all right, let's get to the playoffs so we can, to use that word again, atone for last year. You know, the, the thing you said about spring training and not having the main cast, uh, you know, in, in, in this production. Now, I, I can see a scenario in which things worked out just fine and they would be writing stories about how what a boon it was that these players got more reps in spring training, the, the B team, as it were, because now they're ready. And I think, you know, anything that happens in the course of a year, you can sort of deconstruct and, and write a new story from that. I was thinking of, you mentioned the postmortem that was in The Athletic. Uh, for those of you who don't read The Athletic, uh, it was just a long story about how the team, the season went to hell, or at least tried to be. Uh, a story that explained it. I'm not sure it did, but it had lots of anecdotes and the thing I got out of it, you know, broadly, was at least they understood. At least the Mets seemed to understand that they were not living up to expectations. A couple of years ago, when they spent much of the year in first place, 2021, and but they never really looked good uh, doing it. And of course, you think, so what? They're in first place. But you, you just had the sense of this isn't going to last. And as it was proving it wasn't going to last, I think probably the one time I was fed up to hear with Pete Alonso was when he was saying, oh, relax, it's great, we're going to be great. And I was like, no, Pete, it's not great. Stop stop being in denial. And, and you're ha So I was happy to, when I read this story, you know, happy as one could be at the end of this season, uh, <laughs> that at least there was realization something was wrong, even if they couldn't do anything about it. But, but why I bring up the story and, and you know, relating to what you just said about spring training, one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the key voices in the story was Tommy Pham, who, again, one of those guys you may have already forgotten was a Met. Uh, by next year, it will be surprising to some people that he was a Met, but he was a Met for about four months and did a nice job. But probably the, the pull quote from that story was about what a, a less hardworking team of position players he has not seen. And he mentioned something in elaborating about how you know, these guys, uh, they're playing pool in the clubhouse. Now, I remember last year as the 101 win season was ending, there was a flattering profile of Buck Showalter in Sports Illustrated about all the great things he was doing and how great the Mets were responding and what a great culture was being built and all of that. And one of the things that was mentioned, like, there's a pool table here and then they all get to know each other and they all get to hang out. And isn't that great? And I remembered at the time, it was 2009, maybe 2010. And it was either Brian Schneider or Nelson Figueroa. They were both on the Phillies, who at the time were hot stuff. They're hot stuff again, I suppose. But uh, they both left the Mets who weren't doing anything. Again, that doldrums period. And one of them, I want to say it was Schneider, might have been Figueroa, pointed out how the Mets, who he had just left, had a pool table. But the Phillies don't. The Phillies are serious. They get down to work. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we win here. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think it has anything to do with the pool table. <laughs> I don't know that it has anything to do necessarily uh, with who was in spring training or not, but anything that contributes to a record like we've seen and to just sort of a level of performance that we've seen, I guess, 
has to be taken into account. I mean, ultimately, you know, some somebody on uh, one of the commenters on Faith and Fear said something about the Mets having mailed in their series against the Phillies on the penultimate weekend where they were swept four games. I, I thought, well, I don't know if they mailed it in. I just don't think they have sufficient postage anymore. Uh, <laughs> there's something there, there's something about this team, even with when things are going well, and, and this is the Mets of after the trade deadline, after the shock wears off, the team that looked okay, winning games from wild card contenders. You know, you had that that core group, the main guys, as you call them, or at least, you know, those who, who remain standing. And you have, as they've been called, the Baby Mets, which is kind of a cringe uh, name. I'm, I'm still trying to get City Kids going. I don't know if that's ever going to take off. But, you know, the, the, the City Kids who, uh, you know, have had their moments. And, you know, you, you're kind of special guest stars, your DJ Stewart's, if you will, who've kind of come out of nowhere. And, you know, we, we, some of the pitchers. In fact, the, the pitching was, was pretty okay for a while until they got to Philadelphia. The point of all this being like they've, they've been an okay team up to a point once they were almost assuredly completely out of contention. And you wanted to feel good about that for what it was worth. But I, I, I really couldn't quite get there. I mean, other than on, on a given evening, like, terrific, we beat the Diamondbacks or, or hurrah, we beat the Marlins and isn't it fun to kind of screw with them, uh, g- given the historical overtones of the Marlins having screwed with us long ago. But it just felt like, okay, tonight they'll be, they'll do what they do and maybe they'll win and we'll be happy. The next night they do what they do. They're not good enough at this stage and we won't be as happy, but we'll be happy that the season is, is inching closer to the end. We're always in it as fans. We're always kind of looking for what it means, maybe not philosophically. I, I like to do that. Um, oh, you know, what are we seeing for next year? I'm like, I don't know if we're seeing anything for next year. I don't know that anything is proven other than, gee, I sure like to see some of these guys play some more, all things being equal. But, you know, this isn't the kind of season that feels like it has a carryover in, in, in a good way. It, I don't think it does. And hopefully in a bad way, it doesn't. You probably saw the same statistic that uh, was going around, which was teams that won more than 100 games but end up with a losing record. There have been three examples before the the 2023 Mets, and two of them bounced back and went to the World Series the following year. Again, back when the playoffs were a less complicated thing, and the other one was a couple of years away from going to the World Series. It's a blank slate, I suppose, for next year. We made those trades. We made those. Uh, let's let's go get. Uh, let's let's go reignite the farm system, and that's great too. And and maybe in two years, three years, we'll look back and say, "Wow, this wasn't a great sacrificing whatever was left of 2023 for how fantastic 2026 is." And I'm all for that. But you know, we're we're living now, and we've been living now. Just a a tough year that will go for the most part unmissed. Yeah, I was thinking about Justin Verlander on Monday night because he pitched beautifully in a must-win game for the Astros. And I was thinking about how the, the Mets didn't have to trade him. He was fine in New York. It was, he wasn't begging to get out the way Scherzer was. They had Verlander under contract for another year, but they decided to trade him. On the other side of that, Drew Gilbert on Monday in the first game of the Eastern League Finals hit a three-run homer 
lefty lefty. So you saw both sides of that. We have the promise of Gilbert maybe as soon as next year, but we definitely don't have Verlander. And I think that's a shame. The promise of Gilbert was one of my favorite cartoons. Before, that was before the writer became crazy. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a very sad thing that happened. You know, I noticed Verlander having a great outing in a big spot, helped the Astros put some distance between themselves and the Mariners. And it's what you pretty much expected Verlander to do once he went back to Houston. It's sort of what he did sometimes as a Met and might have continued to do sometimes as a Met. I mean, he hasn't been flawless for the Astros, but it's been great for for what they needed. And if it meant giving up a couple of good prospects to get him and possibly win another World Series, uh, it's certainly worth it for them. Again, the, the problem, I think, with, with Verlander and Scherzer when they were here, just they're old, <laughs> they're, which was not a, you know, their, their birth certificates were not a secret when we signed them. So it, it always felt like, you know, again, that pre-digital television that you had to smack on the side to get going. And once it got going, you got a great picture, but sometimes it needed, you know, a new tube or whatever the hell uh, <laughs> went into televisions. You know, it's funny. I haven't I haven't missed Verlander at all. I haven't missed Scherzer at all. We both adored Mark Hanna. I haven't like sat around thinking, oh God, I wish Mark Hanna were still here. I'm happy he's going to the playoffs again. He's helped the Brewers fine. And maybe when I'm watching some playoff game and he'll be up, I'll feel a pang of whatever. But time really as much as it dragged, it also marched on as this season ended. And really, in, in maybe record time, I felt like not, nothing against those guys who, who were dispatched. But it's like, you know, once we went through our week of, oh, God, who's, who's Jonathan Arayus? And who is who's DJ Stewart, for that matter? And all those guys. And Ortega. It was like, okay, this is our team now. Which is incredible, the way, the way we, we just sort of pick new guys and we, we enjoy their company or, you know, we may rue their company, wish there were better players. So, and, and it helped that we had, you know, every single day, almost Lindor and Nimmo and Alonzo and McNeil, none of whom being a total waste of time, which is nice. You know, they were still the Mets and we still watched them. We still tuned in. We still looked up from our computer by the sixth inning and we went with it. You, you get, you can't think like this, but if, if this was what we were, looking forward to in March that old if somebody told you this was what it was going to be you know you'd be like a that's not oh no you're thinking of some other team <laughs> and be like oh my god this is going to be like completely uh something I, I will not be able to cope with as a Mets fan but you cope because you, you like your team and you know at the worst you do you don't watch and there's probably yeah like you said some people who checked out a while ago but have, have a vague idea that it didn't work out and it didn't work out, but that's, you know, you know what this is? This is it's sports, but it's also real life. I was thinking about this in the aftermath of the show that you and I enjoyed winning time being canceled, knowing that they only got two seasons and we were going to look forward to a third season. And, you know, we would have been well-written, well-performed, exciting, uh, you know, we kind of know what happens because it's based in, in reality. But I was thinking about this. You and I spent a lot of our time over the years analyzing the shows we watch. We're, we're sort of part of the recap culture, I think, in, in that sense. <laughs> we don't write recaps of episodes, but we would sort of like Monday morning 
go to each other and talk about what happened on Breaking Bad last night, what happened on Mad Men last night, what happened on Big Love last night. One of the things that always got me about those shows, and I think Winning Time's sort of the same way, if it had continued, like there's a main character who's in, in peril, whether it's mortal danger or something that's going to ruin their lives. And the first time they pull that, once they've established the main characters, your tongue is kind of hanging out. Oh my God, what's going to happen to Walter White? Is he going to make it or, or whatever? And then he's fine. I mean, he's not fine maybe, but he survives because he's the lead of the show and they're not going to have a show with that. You kind of know that. And I think we were going to get a lot of that with winning time too. Oh my God, what's going to happen to Magic? What's going to happen to Jerry Buss? Whoever. And it would have been, again, entertaining and, and well thought out and provocative. And it would have given us something to talk about on Monday morning. But, you know, everything's going to be okay in some way. I mean, some collateral character would probably buy it and uh, something terrible would happen. But, you know, in general, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Um, I think of all of this because, you know, we, we come back to every baseball season and it's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to the Mets? And... On one hand, we don't know. We really don't. This year proved we don't know. If, if you had episode two of the New York Mets in 2023 that showed them in mortal danger, and you would have said, yeah, but they're going to get out of it. And they never did. But they're still here. And we're still here. And next year, there'll be a new season. We're still going to tune in. And we're still going to talk about it in some form or fashion as friends who love the Mets. It's real life. It's but it's sports. So it's not theoretically killing us. Hopefully it's not killing us inside, but th this year does have to end, but we are better off without, we're, we're better off without this season going on and on, but uh, you know, we're better off for having the Mets. Well, the 2024 season will definitely have new characters, but I wanted to ask you about a quote from George Vesey, a writer who we both respect very, very much. By the way, before I get there, I was floored. Only four winning seasons out of 15. I know we've lived it, but just seeing that in, in writing in your column just knocked me out. Yeah, four seasons of the last 15. Yeah, and you, you could call 15 kind of a uh, a number chosen at random, except it's not so random. It's For what it's worth, it's, it's when City Field began, 2009. It was coming off a period where I think we as Mets fans were convinced that we had finally arrived in a going era of Mets success. The idea that, wow, we finally have a new stadium. We have our brand new network. It was SNY had only been around a couple of years at that point. The young players, Reyes and Wright, maturing, the ability to bring in free agents, all that stuff. And then it just kind of collapsed under the weight of whether it was expectations or injuries or age or whatever. We had those doldrum years. And then that was before you turned around, we had not had a winning record for six years. And then we have 2015, which was amazing. Don't need to go into all the details, but just the, the, those, especially August, September, living in this whole other universe of what the Mets were and going into the postseason and taking that as far as that team probably was going to, you know, they could have been Kansas City, but they didn't. And thinking, okay, now here we go. We're this really good team now. And, and it, we weren't very good for most of 2016, but we pulled it out. And that was also wonderful. So we have two consecutive winning seasons, two consecutive seasons going to the playoffs, which again, we had never done except for one other time back in 99 and 2000. So like, okay, we've arrived. 
And really, you know, I was thinking of this as I was talking about how 2023 began. 2017, I don't know if anybody remembers this, there was one of those, for the most part, annoying surveys that gets put out when a season begins. Like, uh, here's what New Yorkers are thinking about baseball. And 83% say they're Yankee fans, 6% say they're Mets fans. It's always like that, that kind of ratio. In 2017, the percentage of New Yorkers identifying as Mets fans, according to Quinnipiac, I think it was Quinnipiac. I'm surprised I can pronounce Quinnipiac. Actually, the Mets, the Mets fan ratio edged the Yankee fan ratio, which isn't necessarily a big deal, but it was shocking because after all these years of being told how much New York loves the Yankees and the Mets are irrelevant, we'd sort of arrived. And, you know, this was the the team that had gone to the, the World Series and then the playoffs again and had all these appealing personalities. And we get off to a start of seven and three, peaking with a 16-inning win. Remember 16-inning wins <laughs> against Miami? I think Travis Darno had the big hit and then they held on to it. And it's like, wow, this is like, it's still the, you know, I remember thinking this is like just a great time to be alive. <laughs> And then they just went to hell and they lost more than 90 games. And like nobody remembered uh, that that happened. And 18, it was, there were no expectations and they had the great start under Mickey Calloway. And then they just completely fall apart again, not to make this a year by year thing. 19, things look up at the end of the year. They're lousy for the first half, they're great in the second half. 20, they were not prepared for what overcame them. During the pandemic, although other teams seem to uh, be at, be able to play sixty games, twenty one uh, touched on before twenty two we know was mostly great until it wasn't, and this year was this year. So that adds up to four winning seasons out of fifteen. Now, some years winning seasons like you know, hey, you won eighty three games, congratulations. Although today that gets you into a playoff race, maybe a playoff spot in the National League. But just, you know, I, I've always thought, hey, if we have a winning season, that's good. It may it may be disappointing vis-a-vis what we were trying to win. I mean, we had winning seasons in 2007 and 2008. Nobody walks around saying, wasn't it great the way we won 88 games in 2007? Because we blew a big lead. But suddenly you look up one day and you realize you've been rooting for a team that rarely can put together a winning record. And in my case, you're writing about a team more days than not, that isn't putting together a winning record. And if you're lucky, you sort of forget about it because the World Series year has a bit of a bloom to it that doesn't go away in your mind. And following it up with a wild card year and a great surge, that bloom kind of stays with you inside. Or even in a year like 19, where they didn't win, but they, they wow, look at all these good young players we have. But this year, there's always like no no avoiding, no ignoring the fact that, yeah, we don't win very often, do we? And no, we haven't won the big one. But, you know, the big one is great. But I, I think it's just out of it's out of your control. It's always out of your control as a fan, but it's out of your control until you actually get to the World Series. Until you actually get to the playoffs. Just give me a team that's pretty good. And honestly, we've had four of those in 15 years. But you were saying about George Vesey. Yeah, he, 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 George Messi said, I remember him. <laughs> yes, he knows you. I read him. He knows you. I remember him from 20 minutes ago when you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Mets ownership quit on the team and the fans. And I've heard that before, but it had more gravitas being written by George Vesey. I don't believe that. 
but I can see why he said that because they ceased any plan of proceeding forward toward the playoffs. And I think that was the right move. We were both pragmatic about it. But what did you think when you read Vesey's comment? I think it was written by somebody who has seen a lot of Mets baseball in his life as a reporter, as a columnist, and as a fan. I mean, one of the things he does now, because he is no longer constrained to be objective, is say, you know, I'm a big Mets fan. I want them to win. And maybe he's thinking after all these years, maybe, uh, to, to use a phrase I hear a lot lately, there are only so many bites at the apple. And I understand. I mean, again, I think 2011, I may have mentioned that on the show at some point, where when they traded Beltron for Zach Wheeler, they were only about five and a half games out in late July, ahead of the Cardinals, who would go on this unreal run and win the World Series, all of that. You get seasons like that. You may remember the White Sox in 1997 were just three and a half behind Cleveland, and they did a sell-off because their owner decided, no, we're not really that good. And that's kind of what Steve what Steve Cohn said at the time. In retrospect, kind of interesting the way Cohn framed it about he was quoting, you know, the, the playoff probability of whatever day that was. Like, well, you know, you only have a 12% chance. That's not a good odd or whatever. Now, I don't know that he that he was like taking that super literally, or he was just, you know, using a number that was out there uh, that day. But it, it was it was a calculated decision to say. Here's somebody who has all the money to throw after anything he wants, yet good money after bad wasn't something he was willing to invest any further because I don't think it was just a matter of somebody handing him a printout from fan graphs. He, he saw the same team we saw. You know, I, I come back to Verlander's last start as a Met, walking out of City Field with my friend Mark, talking about can they still do something? Mind you, Robertson was gone and Scherzer was gone at that point. We kind of figured Verlander would be gone in addition to any, any other trades they were going to make, but we weren't sure. And they had just taken three out of four from Washington. They were five below 500, but I think seven out of the wild card race with a bunch of teams in front of them. And in the few steps from, from the stairs out to Mets Plaza, we were trying to calculate, is it, is it possible that this team could do anything uh, with Verlander and whoever else was still there? And we both kind of came to the conclusion that this just isn't a good team. It wasn't a good team when they had Scherzer, when they had Robertson. Even if they were capable of putting together a six-game winning streak uh, that we talked about before, the one where they went to Arizona and swept them, it did feel like at any given moment they were one hot streak away. But you know what we've actually seen? And it should give us some pause in hindsight. Is Everybody who's fighting for a playoff spot, put the Phillies aside because they pretty much have one, as we're speaking, the Marlins, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Reds, uh, with the Giants and Padres pretty much out of it, they all had that big hot streak. Padres had a huge hot streak just the other day. Didn't really guarantee you anything except a chance to stay at it and try to have another hot streak, or at least try not to have a cold streak, which seems to to doom them, doom a wild card contender until it doesn't. Until somebody else has a worse cold streak than yours. This thing, by the way, real this this wild card setup, we didn't really pay a lot of attention to it in 2022 because it didn't affect us until I guess we were a wild card. But you know what I mean? We were fighting for the division. Uh, it really embraces mediocrity because what I was thinking is as I was leaving City Field that day in late July was it's not like these teams were behind are that great. 
if you w- want to go back to that moment, though, the, which is what Vessi was doing, and say, you know, you gave up on the season, you sold out your fans, whatever the phrase was. Um, yeah, I suppose. I suppose anything could have happened with a core that we had and the young players that we were showing some faith in. But I, I think at that point and, and at this point, we're sort of writing an alternate history that we want to be true. And I, I don't begrudge anybody, uh, let alone George Vesey, for, for kind of feeling spurned by ownership, feeling that, that this was did not have, you know, the heart of the team in the right place that, you know, had never read about the Giants coming from 13 and a half games behind or the Mets coming from six and a half games behind at the end of August uh, 1973. Uh, but I don't, I don't really buy it. I don't think this team was ever going anywhere once they had revealed themselves to be the kind of lethargic team they were, whether they were shooting too much pool or not in the clubhouse. <laughs> Uh, whatever they brought out onto the field, it just wasn't clicking. And even though they were playing a lot of teams that were eh, they were less than eh. And that that showed. That pool thing still with me because if they had played well, it would have been a sign of a unified team that was enjoying each other's company. But they play poorly, so it's a sign of a distracted team. I think the results can change your perspective on that. But before we go, I wanted to bring up a few other things not related to the 2023 Mets, which is a good thing. Mike Stephanos wrote about us in his column on Tuesday, and it was very nice. So if you're done listening to National League Town and you're done reading Faith and Fear and Flushing, look for Mike's Mets. Mike's a terrific writer, a terrific Mets thinker. He's been on the blogging scene about as long as faith and fear has he took some time off from it for a few years i'm so happy when he came back and i really admire the fact that he has the patience for this team which is a funny thing to say when you also write about the team a lot but i try to find other ways to amuse myself other than saying here's what's going on with the mets sometimes mike really wants we all want this team to improve but he's just one of these people that if you and I've had this experience sitting next to him at a ball game. He's like the most reasonable person you've ever sat next to. And uh, I'm glad you plugged him. That's my, I think it's mikesmets.com. I, I should know. I've been reading it all these years, but uh, I'm not sure of the URL. I think it's just mikesmets.com. Great, great, great guy. And two musical notes. Someone you know that Howie Rose knows is Liz Calloway. And she's a Broadway actress. She's a cabaret singer. She's got a great voice. But, Greg, did you see the video she posted made by her family when she recently sang the national anthem? It was made by her family member. You could hear the delay. And I thought it was really interesting that in 2023, there's still a delay. You remember that from Shea Stadium. Remember hearing about the Beatles didn't know what they were playing because of the, the sound from the speakers versus coming out of their amps. And 2023, there was still a delay. So it's worth finding that video of Liz Calloway singing the national anthem last month. Always worth hearing Liz Calloway sing. And the other thing. Yeah, I, you- did, I did see the video. Yeah. I, didn't, I honestly didn't really notice. Maybe I'm just so inured to it at this point. Uh, she is she is one of the best anthem singers and is invited back every year. She sang an anthem at the, uh, I think it was the Lenny Dykstra home run game in 1986. Wow. So she's she's been on the Mets radar for a long time, as uh, she should be. Even makes 
God bless America worthwhile, uh, which is tough to do when you're not necessarily dying to hear God bless America at a baseball game years after when it was implemented. And the other thing you told me about that I love, I will not back down from my opinion that Meet the Mets is one of the greatest songs of all time. And you told me about a version which you can find on the streaming services by someone named Jordan Simpson, who we don't know. And it's fantastic. So thanks for telling me about that. Yeah, it is a kind of jazzy, soulful version of Meet the Mets. Uh, As someone who sits at my desk and still works with good old iTunes on in the background, I have a playlist of now 24 different versions of Meet the Mets through the years. And I was very happy to add Jordan Simpson's version as the 24th. Uh, not not necessarily. That's not where it is in the playlist. But uh, I you know versions by Yoa Tango, version by Liz Calloway, versions uh, you know the classic versions and the WHN version from uh, when it was all about uh, hot dogs and green grass all out at Shea. Though there was one that tried to be a little more street <laughs> in the late nineties, uh, and just my, one of my maybe not the best one. I. Have a friend who, as part of you know, during his education, went overseas and was teaching English in Indonesia. And to teach English, one of the methods he used was teaching them students, elementary school students, I think, maybe high school students, I don't know, uh, to sing "Meet the Mets." I have a uh, download of that, and it's it's darling and adorable. So "Meet the Mets" can do anything at any time. If anything, in the, in, the, in the wider world, it's underrated. For us, we all know what it's all about. So uh, check out Jordan Simpson's version. Check out uh, any, any version you can find. Anyway, you can't go wrong with Meet the Mets. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed meeting us for uh, another hour or however long it's been. My name is Greg Prince. I have been with my friend Jeff Heisen here on National League Town. This here episode, we're going to copyright it as 2023. We're going to thank the good folks at Royal Arctic Institute for our theme music. You should check them out on Spotify. And as the season winds down, I don't know that there's anything left to say except, well, A, thank goodness, and B, let's go Mets.